The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Thank you all for joining us today. My name is Sharon Brown, and you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Welcome back, and thank you for joining me and Anthony on another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Anthony, how are you today? I'm feeling great. feel really accomplished with a lot of the things I needed to do today. Thank you so much for sharing. So today on our podcast, we have two special guests. In our last episode, we discussed the challenges that people from other countries have faced by sharing personal narratives and examples of people in our own lives who have encountered these challenges. We also discussed the many benefits that an international workforce can bring to an organization such as Cornell University. I'm excited to talk more about this topic with our guests, Lily Rice and Pilar Thompson, on today's episode. So, Lily and Pilar, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you you for for having having us. us. Would you please share with our listeners just a little bit about who you are? Tell us about yourselves and your role at Cornell, and of course, include your pronouns that you use. Thanks for having us here. This is a great opportunity. So my journey prior to coming to Cornell, I was at Wild Cornell Medical College, and they have a branch campus in Qatar. So I worked for Wild Cornell in Qatar for about seven years before coming here. And then prior to that, I worked at University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. I started out as a senior academic advisor. And then at Cornell, I was assistant director for academic counseling. And then my husband and I were living in Reno about two years ago. Two years ago, I got married and we had a baby. And my husband and I thought, well, I decided I was going to stay home with my two-year-old. And so after two years of being home with my baby, I thought to come back to work, and so that's how I applied and came back to Cornell. Before we move on to Mm -hmm. what is your current position here at Cornell? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. No worries. I am the Assistant Director for Student Services at AAP, uh, Architecture, Art, and Planning. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm Pilar. I have been at Cornell University for probably about seven, eight years different positions. You start as a temp and it sort of merges, so I never know exactly where I'm out in the calendar. But I do know we've been at Cornell for just over nine years. I was a traveling accompanying spouse for an international academic and researcher that was brought and offered for a position here. Prior to that, we were in mainland Venice, Italy. We were, we were there and then came over to Cornell. I'm currently working at the College of Veterinary Medicine. I am the Associate Director of International Affairs and Professional Programs. It is actually quite a unique role that I've been very privileged to be managing for the last four years or so. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that information and giving us a better understanding of who you are. I do want to circle back and check in with both of you. Please tell us your pronouns. She and I identify as a woman. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And she is also what I tend to use. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Before we get started, I do have a question. So we have a question of the day that we always do before each and every episode. And so it is my honor today to do the question of the day. And so for the question of the day for all of us to answer, the question is, and 
just as a side note too, I don't know if you all know this, our guest, but Sharon hasn't seen the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> she actually might briefly see it now, but okay. usually it's it's one of us, and then it's a surprise for all of us. Oh, right. right. Okay. So right on the spot, we answer this question. Off the dome, as you say. So the question is, to describe a memorable encounter that you had with someone at work, specifically, whose country of origin was not the United States. And in particular, the question being, what did you learn about that individual or even group? And how has it shaped or impacted your role in the workplace? So as many people know, I, I believe I talked about in the last episode around how I taught English in Portugal for mm-hmm. a year right after undergrad. And so that experience for me, it was not so much with an individual, but with definitely a group of people. So what was unique about that experience was that I was teaching at a public university in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And my students weren't just from Portugal. They were from Mozambique, Angola. And I had a group of students from Equatorial Guinea, which is the mm-hmm. only it's the only country in Africa that's official language is Spanish. Right. Okay. right? So I also speak Spanish and so that was something that I remember kind of like when I first started teaching class and they all saw me and I told them I speak Spanish I speak English they were like they came afterwards to talk to me and they were like did you say you speak Spanish and I was like yes and then they were like I don't know what you just said in English like you know in Spanish they were like I don't know what you just said can you please translate everything and so so that encounter for me I mean particularly with that group but just with all of my students I think what I loved about each and every one of them was that they constantly reminded me of the privilege of being a U.S. citizen Yeah. right and so Even though I had gone to other countries and my dad, he's from Guatemala, so I went to visit and I understood the the privilege from that perspective. But mm-hmm. as a, it's one thing when you're visiting and it's one thing when you're living yep. in that country. And right. so just having that constant reminder of the privilege it is to just be a citizen, even though I have all these other identities that mm-hmm. make up who I am. Yeah. And so that's something that for me, when I think about the workplace and when I think about the work that I do, I'm constantly thinking about how that particular privilege shows up in the work that I do and how I'm constantly advocating for immigrants and for people who are yeah. having difficulty transitioning into U.S. culture, into yeah. the workplace. And so that's something that for me, I always keep in the back of my head as a result of that encounter that I had with my students. Hmm. So That was a wonderful yeah. good example. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Something very similar, not very similar, but almost to that. So I, when I was at Wild Cornell in Qatar, this experience was very different for me initially when so we would have students during orientation this is their first introduction to their peers and to staff and faculty and they would sit in an auditorium and introduce themselves and tell us one fun fact about themselves and a lot of the students that were introducing themselves were either born in Qatar had lived in two or three other Mm -hmm. countries had traveled to multiple other countries I mean it was mind-blowing you know you never had one student who had just come to Qatar and not having traveled or lived or you know been in different places and that was very it was just very mind-opening you Mm -hmm. know what a worldview and just that space there were so many different perspectives and that was the same for staff and faculty you Mm -hmm. had staff and faculty that came from all over the world pretty much and I thought that was just very enriching for the students staff and faculty right and and all Mm -hmm. the perspectives and knowledge that they're going to bring to the conversations about having to work through the tasks at hand I think Mm -hmm. that is enriching that's exactly the right word for that thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that yeah you're welcome so I have one of the core parts of my role is I have a very direct hands-on interaction with the college's international community. So I am on a daily basis in some way or another at least having one to two direct one-to-one interactions with with anything whether it's a foreign student 
or a foreign faculty member, staff. And what I find with what is good is that it grounds me to not get sort of complacent in forgetting to try to tailor our standard Cornell protocols, our standard Cornell processes, and sort of just bring it into them that it just it connects and speaks to their their sort of culture or mindset. Mm-hmm. So something as simple as we could have a, a foreign new researcher that's been brought in and they're being told to go through onboarding or go to work day and everything's automated and everything's pretty generic and their mind's blown about all of it. They're, they're coming in, sometimes they have their spouses and we just had someone last week and you can't sit there and say, no, let me, you know, I can't help you, I don't have time. Right. So never, normally never. we would we would not have to explain at such length what it means to go in and activate your net ID or to do your onboarding or then check in as to with what department manager. And so by by having them have such a direct contact with me, mm-hmm. it does ground me with the fact of like, let's bring it back down. Let's take it back to a different sort of level and let's make it as easily processed by that individual. So you you do want to make that extra effort that would not normally be part of a standard onboarding process. So for me, I think it's just a good way of keeping my eyes open, uh, remembering I am quite privileged. I am fluent, obviously, in, in English. And so I don't question the difficulties of, you know, when I'm looking at the the welcome emails, the activation letters, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But when we're, we're giving it to that community, we really need to understand for them, it's sometimes really not that black and white. It's right. not that welcoming. No, mm-hmm. then that's the problem, right? It's right. not that welcoming. So we, we're able to sort of tune it in. And again, we have recent researchers that just came over from Nepal that you kind of just sit there and say, okay, let's bring this back down. Let's help them through the process mm-hmm. and make them as successful, right? Because mm-hmm. We know for a fact the minute he gets into the lab, he's going to have so much more to deal with and so much more stress that the the main thing we want to do is make these sort of protocols of like, here, activate that, take this, go down to East Hill or go to Day Hall a little bit easier for them. So I get this sort of like experience, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. almost on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds like give a lot of experience. Yeah, it is a, yeah. Good, it is a good experience. I started here at Cornell in 2011. And at the time, we did not have a Title IX office. It was a committee of people. And so I remember being on the outskirts. I was not on the committee, but, you know, as an admin assistant working with the people who are on the committee, I remember the conversation about diversity and inclusion and what is sexual assault, how to identify Mm. it, what, what is unwanted or unwarranted sexual conduct and sexual contact. Somewhere along the line, one of the people on the committee was saying, you know what, we are not we are not considering international mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and staff yeah. in this conversation. Yeah. So yes. the definition and understanding of what what would be covered under right. Title IX had to be adjusted. Yeah. And so the definitions had to be broadened. Mm-hmm. Certain definitions had to be tightened. Yeah. So depending on what was happening, and I just realized that in that moment I thought to myself, I absolutely have privilege because mm-hmm. I understood everything. I was not born in the U.S., mm-hmm. but I've been in the U.S. since I was four years old. Mm-hmm. And while I am very, very influenced by my Caribbean culture, mm-hmm. I grew up in the United States. Right. So there are yeah. lots of things that I don't need to have explained to correct. me. Right. That is and, correct. Um, and so just mm-hmm. something as sensitive and private as anything having to do with Title IX, there are so many areas where the cultures may not align. That's mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, and yeah. so somebody yeah. who is not necessarily comfortable talking about anything having to do with that, now as a university, we're asking them to go 
to explain a situation in detail that mm -hmm. may be very, very hard. Yeah. You know, so I, I appreciate that the committee and now the Title IX office absolutely considers international students. And I mean, even the Office of Title IX, in terms of the, the work that they do now, it's also expanding too because they're also taking on discrimination cases throughout mm -hmm. the yeah. university. So absolutely. now they're, and they're going through a rebranding with the Office of Institutional Equity and Title exactly. IX. Yep. And so it, it is really reassuring in that example to know that that was a consideration even when they were considering the policy right. and the writing of the policy, to know that international populations were a part of that conversation. Because I think one of the things that Sharon and I talked about in the last episode was that there's there seems to be a lot more dissemination of information for international students, but mm -hmm. particularly for staff and faculty, I don't think that conversation is very much there. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's very, very minimal. I, and this is one of the main concerns that, that I would raise is you have the, the normal front-facing first contact interaction that that foreign researcher is going to have or that foreign new faculty is going to be an admin manager, an admin assistant, an HR rep. A student service provider and they're not necessarily going to be speaking a global language mm -hmm. as it were right. nor are they also well versed in in understanding that that interaction that they're going to be getting so we will have researchers and we will have new faculty hires that themselves are also acting if they haven't worked in the U.S. before, in a very specific way, speaking in a very specific yeah, way, right. writing their communications in a very specific way. Mm -hmm. And I've had many, many occasions where I've heard the accounting rep or the HR rep say, that was so rude, or that was so oh blunt, or that was so this, <laughs> I don't understand, you know. <laughs> that was the example I didn't want to use because I was that's trying to true. <laughs> But that's the truth, though, It's right? absolutely true, and I think that even as people who are grounded in the United States way of communicating, I feel like we always have to leave room to understand yes. that our way is not the only yes. way. Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. if you're a global engine like right. Cornell, mm -hmm. then you've got to be prepared for some of these uh, faculty, yes. some of these researchers right. that are not, they're not going to be well-versed. I mean, yes, okay, given American TV and American film is everywhere. Right. But, <laughs> but that's not necessarily that's a good representation. Exactly, right. That is exactly right. Absolutely And they're not, not taking <laughs> courses like how to write an email to your support staff <laughs> when working in the United States. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And that is very lacking so a lot of the time it's almost like just we're all still speaking English mm -hmm. right but we're we're having to do a little bit of a cultural translation mm -hmm. having cultural competencies mm -hmm. unless it's a visitor for example I speak five languages right and I can get away with a few other ones as well mm -hmm. but if you're bringing someone in as a hire and someone who's really aiming to study or work here I will speak with them in English I might change my vocabulary the right. way I sort of process things but you know to get them to understand where we're going and kind of teach that communication but you got to be a little bit flexible with that. You got to understand and not get insulted mm -hmm. with how it's they kind of work with you. Yes. It is not personal and sometimes we forget that we look at international community as being the other mm -hmm. but then yeah. the important thing is that we're all the other mm -hmm. because, right? right? Because <laughs> if I'm speaking to someone from even North Dakota, I went to college in North Dakota. So they have a, a certain accent that's very right. different from Minnesotans. That's very different from the South. If you're looking at someone else and pointing a finger that they're the other, they speak different. We all speak yeah. different. Right. So it is yeah. important to appreciate that yeah. the other doesn't mean that they don't get it. They don't mm -hmm. understand, mm -hmm. but it's just that they bring a different perspective. Correct. Mm -hmm. We need that, right? We right. need that. Right. We definitely need it. And mm -hmm. it's like saying that 
I don't have an accent. You have an accent. Right. Yes. He's like, no, yeah. I don't have an accent. You have an accent. Their accent is so strong. And I'm like, <laughs> yours is kind of too, though. You know, you don't, you know, you realize. I apparently Absolutely. have a Chicago accent. And I didn't know that until I went to school in Connecticut that people were like, you say Chicago weird. But apparently <laughs> Chicago accent, we extend our vowels. So we don't oh say Chicago. Goodness. We say Chicago. Oh, right, right, right. So it's like minor things like that, right? right? But but as Americans, I feel like that's a huge privilege. I'm really excited about these podcasts and all the initiatives in your office because sometimes I feel like when we define diversity, mm-hmm. we do forget the mm-hmm. international community, whether that be students or staff or faculty. We are looking at the other numbers than mm-hmm. not really necessarily the international community. So really just going off of what you had said, yeah. I really appreciate these conversations. Thank you. Yeah, that that definitely speaks to intersectionality because diversity is such a, it's something that is so hard to define, but we know it when we see it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And and so there are people who wear all the different labels for all different reasons, and being international is one of them also. I know that what I have learned about privilege and things like that for myself, just being Christian in the Mm. U.S. Mm. is a privilege, privilege, you know, like understanding that there are people who who have to work harder to find their community when it comes to a place to worship. Well, I mean, and that also, I try to bring it up quite often, is is trying to highlight those connections. As you just said, there may be something that is really, really quite a line, let's say, dividing line of uh, whether nationality, skin color, certain background, socioeconomic, but highlighting where we connect is the best place to really, really build strong relationships and build strong communities. Because you have a huge proportion of individuals at Cornell that are not from Ithaca or the Ithaca area, but the idea is that we build that Cornell community. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we try to do all the time. That whole sense of belonging to Cornell is because we want everyone to know that we thought about you right mm-hmm. before you got here, yeah. not, not after the fact. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. That's true. So I want to dedicate a little bit of time to, to talking about some of the stereotypes that are associated mm-hmm. with working with international populations. I think there's a lot of stereotypes and kind of misconceptions, mm-hmm. especially when we oh, think about yeah. visas and, you know, oh, it's so easy to get a visa kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's not. It's costly, right? There's a lot of work that kind of goes into it. So I yeah. kind of want to spend a little bit of time maybe talking about some of those and sure. then debunking them, too, because I, I think there's a lot going on currently within within our society that are outside of our control, outside of yeah. Cornell, but that definitely impact the workplace, right? Yeah, I, you know, I want to talk about specifically, I think that's a very interesting question, talk specifically about accents. I feel, and I have an accent, right? I talked about this a little earlier. And I feel like sometimes non-international staff or even students will easily, quickly judge a person based on their accent and feel like they are not, they're not competent. Mm-hmm. because of their accent. And that is something that I have experienced as I, when I started out as an international student. And I'll give an example. One time, you know, we were just as a first-year student, and as I started out, our professor said, you know, to divide ourselves up in groups. And, you know, I had only a couple people that wanted to be in my group. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm young, and I'm like, you know, this is not good, this is unfair, whatever. Turns out, though, after the first, when we got back our first exams Mm -hmm. and people are looking and talking about grades and all that, and I was a straight A student, and people found out that from each other that, okay, so-and-so has this and -and so-and-so has that. 
And suddenly I have people wanting to be in Your my group, group yeah. you know, because wow. I mean, it's almost like I had to prove it. myself. Oh, my now yeah. we can trust that you know what you're talking about. We, you know what you're doing. And they're, they were young and, you know, that was a learning moment. They missed out. But right. Because <laughs> you know, busy judging. Exactly. And that's yeah. what we do when mm-hmm. we hear someone with an accent or we hear someone talking a certain way or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe someone looks different than we do. Yeah. We put up a wall really quickly. Oh, yeah. Make judgment. And make judgments and don't give them the opportunity to actually do whatever they're supposed to be doing. Let them speak. Let let them be who they are. Right. It's quite entertaining because my grandparents were immigrants themselves, right? So they went from Europe to, to Latin America. Then my parents went from Latin America to the U.S. And then I have been traveling around the place with with my own family. So I always feel that there's it's that odd relationship of which party is judging who or who's Mm. bringing one sort of like, you know, who are you and what do you do? But I'm quite sensitive about that. And I have uh, probably too many anecdotes. One here at (laughs) Cornell that I I thought was interesting. And it shows, again, that level of cultural competency, right? And Mm. and not jumping the gun and, and having those judgments was a faculty member asked, and said, you know, Pilar, can you really, really just help out? Just can you sort out what these people need and what's going on? And I said, can you give me some background? You know, I don't know. Sure. And no, no, I don't, I don't know. So I said, okay, just send them. This was, they were downstairs, let's say, in one of the other offices. They come up to, to me. And so I'm, I start asking questions and I, and I sort of delve. And I, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what you wanted. Okay, did you need this? So we go and get it done. And it was a simple tour and some information about specific programs and so we're done and then about a week or two later I run into that same faculty member and she goes to me oh Pilar thank you so much for taking care of those individuals I'm like sure no worries whatsoever and she goes to me you know I did not know you spoke Japanese (laughs) and I looked at her and I said you know I don't she's like so how did you figure out what they wanted And I'm sitting there going, like, how do we respond without then making the faculty member feel bad, right? Right. Right. You know, as well as the fact of clarifying. So I and and again, we I've learned many a time to sort of take a moment before I respond to things, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because how is that going to receive? So I just said, well, you know, it took a while. Let's give her that one. (laughs) I said, but actually, I, I just asked them. Imagine that. And, and you listened. I know. And I said, and she I said, but I said, again, I said, it did take a while. I said, so we figured out this is that what they needed. And that's what we got. And she just sort of looked at me and went, oh, good. I'll send you all the others like that then. But, you know, yeah. I mean, you kind of sit there and you kind of go, you guys, you just, I know it takes a while. You got to just take a moment, ask it maybe a different way and be prepared to hear something in a different sort of package. It's not going to come to you with that perfect accent. Absolutely. It's going to be different. Try to broaden how you expect that response to be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's where, again, how are we preparing our front-facing staff right. that work with the international community to do that? And hopefully we're, we're improving, right? And hopefully we're getting better. But it's a difficult task. Mind you, don't get me wrong, when I was going through my permanent residency and and naturalization process, I honestly had to constantly explain to the USIS officer, right, U.S. Customs Immigration Services, no, I'm not American. Yes, I swear I do not have citizenship. No, I have checked because I sounded too American. (laughs) Imagine that. Wow. Right? Wow. So so you you get to sit there. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't even know what to do with that because I just became a citizen myself less than five years ago. And it was it was complicated. I'm not going to go into the whole story. But thank goodness that the person was just like, here you go. It, it's almost as though the test and all that, yeah, all those yeah, questions. Yeah. It wasn't even necessary, and that is another way where I got to use my privilege of being right. an English-speaking yeah, yeah, yeah. person, a person who I, some people say I have an accent, some people say I don't. Whatever the case is, that person recognized, okay, you've been here a long time, yeah. so I'm just going to slide you through. And so that is a way where, you know, these things matter to other folks. In your case, they were challenging you. Because no, no, you they thought I was American. They, so they, they were like, why do we have yeah. to do this? Like, can we avoid doing it? And I'm like, oh, my God, if I could and not pay you the money I need to. Hundreds of dollars. Oh, thousands. Oh, thousands. We were, we were five individuals. Oh, oh yes. Oh, wow. So thousands okay. and wow. thousands I'm of one. dollars. And that's with the support of Cornell. As you said, what are those what are those costs or what does it actually take to bring this international person here at Cornell, whether it's a student or a faculty or research staff academic? So it costs money to the institution already. But there's other certain costs that then for yourself, you're going to be paying, you're going to have to be dealing to go through that process. And you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars to play with. And it's just not it's not pleasant for for anyone, mind you, you know. It is easier that we have a Cornell Association. Pilar, what I love in your example, too, is that it, I, for what I gathered, too, is that it really emphasizes the piece that helping other folks kind of navigate mm-hmm. resources is not just one person's job. It no. should yes. be everyone's job. If they're Absolutely. your coworker, if they're your colleague, and instead of just redirecting them to the HR rep or the HR yeah. person, it should be everyone's responsibility to help mm-hmm. them kind of feel like they're being acclimated, feel like they're getting a sense of belonging from the team mm-hmm. to help them get those resources, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I love in that example, too, is that it kind of puts that onus not just on you in terms of your role, what you do, or any particular individual. It's everyone's job. Yeah. Right, right. right. Yeah. And I think it becomes quite, I'll use the word dangerous, when, you know, an office, for example, one of my roles is inclusion and diversity. And when an office puts all the responsibility on that one person, yeah. then it's dangerous. Because like you're saying, you know, Anthony, I don't think, I know that it's everyone's responsibility yeah. to make everyone else feel included and that they belong to Cornell. Mm -hmm. And so it takes intentionality. You Mm -hmm. have to intentionally want to spend that time with someone from whatever background and actually make the time. Just, you know, it might take you two minutes. It might take you 10 minutes. But guess what? You will have learned something new, something different about someone else that's, you know, different from you. And that's that's beautiful. Regardless of where you're going or regardless of your, of your opinion on the U.S. immigration process or whether it's difficulties, it's restrictiveness, there is no country that has a fantastic immigration process yeah. that makes it like, oh, my God, it was so pleasant. I also oh, enjoyed that <laughs> yeah. going yeah. through. So there is already an aspect of discomfort, yes. of stress, oh of a complication mm-hmm. to any immigrant movement, right? Not and to you mention vulnerability. Completely. Mm. So then you're you're looking at that I don't think that is normally connected to our international community, right? Mm-hmm. Cornell's already difficult. Cornell is already a high-level Ivy League institution right. where the stresses are felt even by our own students and our own faculty and our own staff. Right. You look at then that person who has either traveled in the past before or has never gone through this process and is being given a humongous level of stress due yeah. to their status, due to the sponsorship, the support, right. the, that connection, that tie-in 
to that sponsor, your livelihood, your mm. family's your life <laughs> is tied to this. Yeah. And they don't, no one makes it easy for you. So then when you're dealing with that community, you have to take that into consideration when they are speaking to us, when they're asking for help, or they're trying to navigate the Cornell system. I think that's where it's an important thing that must be highlighted and really should be part of the, the sort of training that any of our employees or our service providers need to be sensitive about, need to be incorporated for that. Because it is something, since we have had our new political administration, there have been very minimal changes to the law. There have been a few executive orders, but there's been very limited changes to the core law of immigration. But the executive orders, the mindset that has trickled down everywhere from a consular office and a consular agent so to a CBP, Custom Border Patrol agent, to a USIS officer, mm-hmm. all of that has changed, right? right? right. So our international individuals have had a change and a sort of step up in the stresses, as well as their own insecurities and discomfort of being wanted or felt welcomed mm-hmm. in this institution, that I have seen a spike in the amount of our foreigners needing to talk. There's so many different also visa categories. We're very lucky that as, a, as an institution, we're a higher education institution, there's not that many out of the alphabet of visas that we use, right? Mm-hmm. There's a core set of visa types we have, but quite a few of them are very restrictive towards your dependents. Right. So you have sometimes families, partners, spouses, they're making a decision to come for Cornell for one reason or another, right? To participate in the community study, research, teach. But their accompanying dependents sometimes are really, really in a not positive and productive environment. They are tied legally by immigration to what they can do. Mm-hmm. And the stress that sometimes occurs on the core main sponsored international individual will affect their work, their study, or their research if that family is not, mm-hmm. you know, really them. getting into the, the Ithaca community outside of the fact of just monetary, outside of the fact mm-hmm. that you know you're going to be with one salary for X amount of years until something mm-hmm. changes. But there's everything else. You have partners that sometimes they always worked and were independent, and now they feel dependent, dependent on right, that right. other one. And they're sitting there going, I, I, you know, they start questioning their own identity, right? right what am I right. doing? I don't even have kids, and I, I'm stuck in the house. And not to mention isolation. Yeah, right. Completely. Right. That we already face with weather sometimes, you know, <laughs> that we have. Yeah, winters, oh, but but yeah. think about that. You legally can't mm-hmm. work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you can't do anything. Your English may or may not be that fantastic. And you know that you're just looking around going, so what am I going to do? You right. probably cannot drive for a while yeah. unless yes. you get your paperwork That's right. until you get your paperwork. Yeah. yeah. So right. you a are basically, you are not basically, you are absolutely dependent mm-hmm. on another person. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Everything. Right. Yeah. And that, that's a very interesting sort of situation that, that creates an environment for that core person. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, that a lot of, I do think some, I mean, we have that discussion when a department chair, for example, is looking out, you know, we're going to hire, we're going to post this position, we're thinking it's a foreign national. And I have that discussion, do we have dependents, do we have families, uh, right. what are we, you know what I mean, and yeah, highlighting, yeah. let's remember that in this status, this is what's not going to be doable or what's going to be doable. Because I remind them, like, okay, let's let's always think about that. Mm-hmm. So when you have your new lecture and they're stressing out because their husband is now stuck at home and completely unable to do anything, 
you understand why your lecturer is freaking out. Pilar, thank you so much for sharing that, that insight. So after we're hearing so much about the challenges that not only the person who is employed with Cornell University faces, mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the benefits that having, having an international workforce brings to the university. So I think one of the, the ones that I like to highlight often is the fact that even though Martha Pollock down through to Scorton have wanted to incorporate an internationalized curriculum, make it sort of a, an idea that at least X amount of our percentage of our students have an international experience because of that, that global benefit for them of having that global effect. We know those numbers aren't there. We know that not all our students are going abroad or living abroad. And so what can happen is you can use that international flow that's coming to us as the perfect opportunity to give a cultural experience and uh, exposure to our students that are matriculated here. So if you engage that new researcher, that new faculty, or those new students to present what their home, right, their home or institutional or country way of working, way of living to those around them, then you're going to have the individual that may have never traveled, may not want to be traveled, Mm -hmm. suddenly open their eyes up and go, oh, so you mean you do this experiment that way because over in your other lab you guys did X, Y, and Z? Wow, you know what I mean? Or that curriculum is not presented that way and you teach and learn these different courses, it opens their eyes up in a sense of someone that has had that opportunity to then expose it, to say it. So I really, really highlight, because I run the visitor program as well, so I support all the incoming, just even people who are doing like an internship, and I make an effort to say, talk to the other students that you're going to be you know, exposed to or rotating through with or in the lab. Tell them how you do things at home. Mm-hmm. Tell them how you see things so that exposure is like a two-way lane, right? right you know, Instead yeah. of just one way that they're coming here to suck information or resources <laughs> from Cornell. So I think they can be used as an opportunity for the individuals that do not have the money to travel, perhaps, mm-hmm. the time to travel as well, and just be given a global exposure. Mm-hmm. That That is an excellent example of the benefits. Lily, what do you think about some of the benefits that international workforce can offer? Yeah, you know, when I think about that question, I think about how we now more than ever live in a, a global village. You know, mm-hmm. we're graduating students that are joining the global workforce yeah. and a lot of employers are looking for mm-hmm. students who have yeah. been exposed to different cultures are appreciate different cultures pilar just mentioned that she speaks five languages i speak five languages too and i can and uh, i speak three so speak that three. already is Same. 13 yeah. and then english that's 14 I, there you go two oh two, 15 <laughs> two. Look at that. Two. like hey man don't leave me 15 out. languages yeah. among four but people that's, real, right? that's pretty awesome skill, and yeah. you learn and i think that it is our responsibility as educators mm-hmm. to show students that or teach students or expose students to this environment where they're learning different languages, they're learning about different cultures, they're learning about different foods even, you know, and both staff and faculty as well as students, it is important. If I leave Cornell Mm -hmm. and I've been exposed to just in this, within this room, we have how many languages? I mean, about 15 languages. And I'm exposed to that and I'm learning about those different cultures and different languages and I go to another institution. I can speak to that and, and that is valuable. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not just valuable, it's actually priceless. It is priceless. And, yeah. and you know, mm-hmm. while we're talking so much about the student experience, it also reaches out to the staff and faculty experience as right. well. Because right. when we are institution that welcomes mm-hmm. international students, mm-hmm. it would be good that the faculty and staff reflect that. Well. That is exactly yes. what I was thinking. You know, yeah. if you have students that see themselves in the in staff the, in and the in the right, faculty, right. Yeah. you know, yeah. population, then they know that they can go to someone if they have yeah. a question or they have a need and they can interact with that person because, you know, that person was an international student like themselves yeah. or international as a staff member. And so that is, again, that's very powerful. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you so much. And last but not least, I feel like this conversation can go on for well over <laughs> this time length of this current episode. But I, I really appreciate it. I've learned so much about just even the resources here at Cornell and about people's experiences in mm. 15 languages. I'm, I will not get over that. That's awesome. But just to kind of wrap up this conversation, what do you all recommend are just ways in which staff and faculty specifically here at Cornell can serve as better advocates mm-hmm. and better allies when it comes to supporting our international workforce? Yeah. I think be okay with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when someone comes to you, asks you a question, take time to answer that question. There's no perfect way no. of answering any question, actually. I mean, someone asks you a question, take the time, listen to them, ask more questions. There's no foolish question, right? There's no stupid question. That's right. So that's one thing that I would say. The other thing I think that I appreciate as someone who's worked in abroad and has lived abroad and is international consider myself actually I consider myself as a global citizen mm-hmm. that's oh, that's I love that. yes. I love that identity. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah, got a little global citizen my, a pin at my office global citizen good oh, I love that yeah. the other thing is you know share your experience talk about yeah. your life your background you will find like we just did that everyone has a story mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Not too many people say, hey, tell me about, you know, tell me your story, you know, but then go out for lunch with someone that's different from you and different country, different whatever, and just listen to them talk about their culture, but also share your story Mm -hmm. because it's going to be intriguing to them as well. Last but not least, you know, help to promote an unbiased environment by checking your own biases. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. So right? Important. Lots so of snaps important. on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We so all important. have biases. And, yeah. and when you hear someone saying or speaking in a way that's a little different from how you speak or acting or eating food that yeah. looks different from oh, what you this, eat. Listen, yeah. international <laughs> food, that's a whole different episode. Oh, yeah. 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 A whole episode yeah. on that. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's big. Right. And so we have those biases. And so we need to be checking our own biases and you know as we get into these conversations with people that are different from ourselves I think for one of the main things that I like to say and I whenever I'm being asked uh, that question there isn't like one specific answer like oh here's this magic bullet (laughs) of do this and it's gonna (laughs) work for everyone but what you one of the first things I say is just how we need to get it get staff and faculty to understand that you need to be open. Mm -hmm. If you go into those conversations and situations with an open mind, 
ready and knowing that they're probably going to come to you from a different perspective mm -hmm. and be ready to have it become an exchange. We shouldn't require or tell, you know, if you want to say you're not diverse, all right, you know, you're an Ithaca born white person and you need to be ready to deal with the diversity coming towards you. No, what I like to say is you're coming from this place, this experience, those, you know, sets of knowledge and skills. This one's coming here. Let's have it become a conversation. Mm -hmm. Be ready to ask them where they're coming from, what they need, what they're bringing to the table. And you also be ready, right? Tell that employee and that faculty member, be ready for you to teach them about what your experiences have been. What is it, you know, to be from Ithaca and be, and, and have it be a dialogue. So it's not just only on one party to have to feel that they must change their behavior, mm -hmm. right? It's not, all of us have to be able to engage in a constructive and proactive way that we learn from each other. So to me, it really is just make sure that everyone is willing and able to work in an open forum when we're dealing with the different groups. Thank you all. Thank you, our guests. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment and like us on SoundCloud to let people know about the podcast. Also, if you or a fellow colleague would like to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, please email us at ie-academy at cornell.edu. My name is Sharon Brown. My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. A special shout out and thank you to Bert Odom Reed, our sound engineer from the Cornell Broadcast Studio, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks thank you, Bert. Thank Thanks, you, Bert. Bert.